speak louder you have. Be able to hear me. I know how Jonah feels. I would rather run than speak in public. <laughs> Back up a little bit. We left off in Genesis chapter 8 a couple months ago. We are in going to begin in chapter 9, which God's command to Noah is repopulating the earth. In my studies of this, it's a lesson. I'm, a, I'm not a preacher by any means. Uh, I'm using two different study Bibles. One's very good at explaining every verse, and the other one has a much deeper meaning to what the whole picture of what God is putting out is to be. Uh, I debated a lot for time's sake even reading the chapter, but to start out with, start in chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life that is its blood. Now before uh, this, all people on earth, I guess, were vegetarians. But now God has given Noah everything is available for him to eat, but he is not to eat flesh with its blood in it. The flesh is life. Our, excuse me, the blood is what God gave life to every living thing. So we are not to eat flesh with blood in it because that is the life that God gave everything. So in this chapter 9, it is considered the Noah covenant that God gave Noah and those and Noah's family. Verses 6 uh, 6 to 11 or 5 to 11 Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. For the hand of every beast I will require it and from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. 
Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the, in the earth, and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, As for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you, and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you, never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now in this covenant, the Noah covenant, Noah, our God, reaffirms the conditions of life of fallen man as announced by the Edemic covenant and institutes the principles of human government to curb the outbreak of sin. Since the threat of divine judgment in the form of another flood has been removed. I know that you're probably wondering, kind of like the verses I had Bo read chapter 13 of Romans 1 through 7, how this ties in. But the deeper meaning of verse 6, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. No man is to take another man's life or shed his blood. This considered the human or the third dispensation is the beginning of human government. Now, as this is probably confusing for you, it's also for me that when Noah and his family left the ark, God in the Noah covenant subjected humanity to a new test. Before this, no man had the right to take another man's life. Make clear, this was in Genesis 4, 10 to 11, and 14 to 15, and 23 and 24. In this new dispensation, although man's direct moral responsibility to God continued, as in the verses I have Bo read, it said, render to God the things that are God's. God delegated to man certain areas of his authority in which he was to obey God through submission to his fellow man. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So that God instituted or corporate relationship of man to bring in human government. The highest function of government 
is the protection of human life and out of which arises the responsibility of capital punishment. Man is not individually to avenge murder, but as a corporate group, he is to safeguard the sanctity of human life as a gift of God which cannot rightly be disposed of except as God permits. God created man in His image, so we are God's creation. God is the only one that has the right to take human life. But in this covenant, there's a deeper meaning that He has given man, or allowed man, to take uh, through government to be able to uh, fight the, the outbreak of sin that God knows is going to happen. He has given man through the establishment of government to be able to take man's life if he has shed blood, as in verse 6 says. <clears throat> so now man is made responsible to protect the sanctity of human life by orderly rule over the individual man. Uh, even to capital punishment. So that is where our government got that we, through capital punishment, are, is, are allowed to take another man's life. Uh, we could go, go on the entire hour talking about the sanctity of human life. I'm not going to go there because of the, of the amount I want to try to cover today. It, it just really doesn't fit into this chapter. So moving on, God has placed no additional curse upon the ground and nor is man to fear another universal flood. Now continuing on from where we left, from chapter 11, Thus I establish my covenant with you, never again shall, or verse 11, excuse me, shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that, that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the clouds, and I shall be, it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. I shall be, it shall be, 
when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature all of all flesh. Every living creature of all flesh, the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God, it doesn't really say whether before the flood it ever rained or whether there was ever a rainbow, but God is now making the rainbow in the cloud a reminder for him that he will never bring another flood upon the earth. Uh, so we can be comforted in knowing that God will never destroy all living creatures on earth by a flood. We have yet to seen as to when Christ returns. It says this world will come to an end. We don't know how or by what. So kind of bear with me. So God's pledge was that He would never destroy the earth by flood, and that the rainbow would be a a reminder that he would not. Verses 17 through 23, God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on earth. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. Verses 20 through 23 is Noah's sin. Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine, and was drunk, and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Jephthah took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were, were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. Now, we know that Noah was a godly man, walked with God and talked with God, and you would have thought he would have never sinned. 
But as God knows, humans are going to sin regardless of, of what God does for us. We will still sin. And in Noah's sin, uh, Ham saw his father's nakedness and mocked his father in his drunkenness. And thus, Noah's prophecy came about of the curse to Canaan. Now, there's a lot of discussion as to why if Ham sinned against his father, why the curse went to Canaan, Ham's son. So, verses 24 through 29, Noah awoke from his wine and knew that his younger son had done what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Jephthah, and may the, he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. But backing up, verse 24, when Noah awoke from his wine and knew his younger son had done what his younger son had done to him, he prophesied. Now in this, where it states younger son, a lot of times in the Bible, younger son could even mean grandson or great-grandson. So Noah's prophecy, even though Canaan was Ham's son, Noah considered him his younger son. And whether Canaan may have done something despicable to Noah during his drunken stay, and that's why Noah has cursed Canaan. He didn't curse him because he would have been cursing a third of the world's population in respect. He cursed Canaan, Ham's son, and of course Ham had multiple sons in his genealogy. To have cursed Ham would have been cursing one-third of the nation's population, and Noah wasn't going to do that. Noah's prophecy curses the, the country of Canaan more than Canaan himself. But obviously, Canaan was the one who sinned against Noah. So Noah's prophecy 
was a curse upon Canaan, or the country of Canaan more likely. That uh, the evil tendencies which were manifest in Ham was even more pronounced in Canaan, and the curse was thus prophesied of his immoral conduct and its fitting punishment. God knew the nation of Canaan would be a wicked nation. So that's why this prophecy was on the country of Canaan. Now this was fulfilled <coughs> when the Israelites entered the promised land and drove the Canaanites out or enslaved them as the curse reads. So with that, we are up to chapter 10. Are there any questions, anything anybody didn't understand that, or that I overlooked in chapter 9? So is that why... Before the Canaanites, just because God knew that nation would become wicked, it wasn't. Is that, is that the reason? Well, this all plays together throughout the history of the Bible that the Canaanites would be uh, become servants of uh, Shem and, and Jephthah. God knew because of of, uh, the evilness of Canaan and his wicked tendencies that the nation of Canaan would also be wicked. In which they were. They were a godless country and God knew that they would be that way because God knows everything beforehand. What country is Canaan now? Egypt? Uh, Canaan, Canaan was the country in which God gave Israel. And when Israel went into the Promised Land, they pretty much annihilated the Canaanites. Those that they didn't kill or run out of the country, they enslaved. So, Canaan was no more after the Israelites entered the Promised Land. That that was then Jacob. Excuse me, I can't can't hear over. Who are the descendants of Ham? The descendants of Ham. If we want to get into the genealogy. Uh, okay. Chapter 10. The sons of Ham were Cush, Mizram, Put, and Canaan. Who are they today? It is hard to say they they uh I have a chart that 
tail of that. Don't worry. Okay. Hands were the Egyptians, the Canaanites, the Egyptians, the Philistines, the Hittites, or the Amorites. Other than the Egyptians, most of these, uh, most of the offspring of Ham were pretty much annihilated through war from one time or another. The Hittites, the Amorites, and the Philistines no longer really exist. Uh, Shem, the offspring of them were the Hebrews, the Chaldeans, the Assyrians, the Persians, and the Syrians. In respect, the family of Shem was considered the god godly family of the, the sons of Noah. So, you, as we go on through the Bible, we will see and be tracing the Hebrews. You'll, you'll see the Chaldeans come up, the Assyrians, the Persians, and, and the Syrians. Now, the offspring of Jephthah were primarily Primarily, primarily the Greeks, the Thracians, and the Thessalians. <laughs> don't ask me to say that one again. Uh, those of Jephthah were primarily the ones who created government. They were responsible for art, and somewhat uh, more responsible for the creation of written language. Ray, that, that verse 25 says, Curse be, he said, Curse be Canaan, the servant of service. He shall be unto his brethren. I'm sure you have the same note in your Bible I have. It says, This verse has been wrongfully used to support racial prejudice. And even slavery, but really Noah's curse there wasn't against a, a certain race. It was just against that Canaanite nation. The Canaanite people misinterpret yeah. that a lot to get the, the racial Yeah, prejudice. that misinterpretation is just. I read a little bit of that on another Bible commentary I have. Uh, there's nothing racial about it because none of these people were black in the first place. Uh, so there's there's no way anything that will hold up to the, being a racial or thing about slavery. Uh, in those days, conquering countries made slaves out of the countries they conquered. Anybody that was left alive generally either had to flee or they became a slave. 
So to try to make something out of that footnote that uh, there, it was a racial thing toward slavery in Islam. Now that footnote that's in your Bible now, but rather that that prophecy was against the Canaanite nation, a nation God knew would become wicked. The curse was fulfilled when the Israelites entered the promised land and drove the Canaanites out. Uh, that was Joshua who drove the Canaanites out when they entered the promised land. So now back to <clears throat> chapter 10. I'm not going to read all of the genealogy of Noah's children, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah, because I can't pronounce half of their offspring's names. The second half of the chapter, if you go into it, it gives you uh, where a lot of these people settled and the beginning of the countries that they they went to. Uh, it says Nimrod, which is one of uh, Ham's off uh, great grandchildren being the mighty warrior before the Lord and then his kingdom was Babel was the, in the area of Babel Eric Akkad and Kalan Kalanai in the land of Shiner uh, that's just an example of how These families were spread out throughout uh, throughout the Mid East, even Africa, Asia and Asia Minor, Egypt and Europe were where all of these families began to populate or repopulate, I might say their you know, th you think about it, when they got off the boat, or the, the ark, there was Noah, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. Noah, or God told them to go, go into the land and repopulate the earth. That their families were all their wives. So if you, you look into the areas that they all went and as we continue to go through the Bible and all of the studies the historical and what do they call it? 
the ethnological history of chapter 9 or chapter 10 will come up from time to time there the names here will be become will come up in the throughout the Bible uh, They were responsible for reestablishing towns and nations. And as we study this, we will run across that. Now, I had originally thought about going covering uh, the Tower of Babel in chapter 11, but because of time's sake, I don't, you know, I'm not going to go there. But after chapter 10, we go in. To what is uh, the call of Abram, and primarily will stay on the godly side of Noah's family, which is Shem. Jesus descended from Shem's family. Hmm? Jesus descended from Shem's family. Right. All of the godly people within the Bible, all of the prophecies and everything else came out of the family of Shem. So if we go, continue to go through even in Genesis, we will stay within the family of Shem. So if, if you read on through chapter 10, when you get into the, the offspring of Shem, they will be in the Bible somewhere as we go on through the study. Is she in the oldest? Yes. So if there's not any other questions or confusion as to what I've done to you today, that's kind of all I've got, and that's kind of where I want to leave it. We'll get into chapter 11 next time, which the first half of it covers the Tower of Babel and why God dispersed the people by confusing their language. Anyway, thank you, and we'll leave it. <laughs> Can somebody grab Anita?